celebrate the new year. 2016 is gone and enter in 2017. For many people, the new year is a sort of new beginning. It's a time to start over, in a sense. A time to do things that we should have done last year. We often make New Year's resolutions. We say we're going to commit ourselves to doing something different this year that we didn't do last year. You're going to work out more. And if you're like me, you make that resolution every year. Or you're going to get more organized or whatever it is. You commit yourself to a different life, to a different way of living. Because we get to begin all things new. It's a day of new beginnings. And this concept of new beginnings is not a foreign one to Scripture. We see the concept of new beginnings throughout the Bible. For example, we see new beginnings represented in the person of Noah. When Noah exits the ark and God makes a covenant with him, he places the rainbow in the sky and promises that he will never destroy the earth again with a flood. That was new beginnings. We also see new beginnings with the person of Abraham. When God calls Abraham in Genesis 12 out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says, I will, he promises Abraham that his seed will number the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea. That's a new beginning. We see a new beginning with Moses. When God brings the Exodus through Moses and he saves his people Israel out of bondage to Egypt and he brings them to Mount Sinai and he enters into covenant with them. There's a new beginning through Moses. And here with our author in Psalm 16, David, we see new beginnings. God's chosen king who God promises in 2 Samuel 7 that his kingdom will have no end. It will be an everlasting kingdom. But with every new beginning, whether it's with Noah, whether it's with Abraham or Moses or David, with every new beginning, there is one common theme. True life is found in the presence of God. With every new beginning throughout Scripture, Every new beginning seeks to drive home what we read here in verse 2, that there is no good apart from God. David, here in Psalm 16, as a representative of new beginnings, as God's king, lays out what new beginnings are all about. Life with God now, and life with God forever. And that's what we see in this psalm. Verses 1 through 8, David contemplates the many blessings that he has with his life in the presence of God now. And then he moves on in verses 9 through 11 to contemplate, to meditate on a life with God forever in eternity. And so that's how we are going to break up this psalm this morning. Verses 1 through 8, a life with God now And verses 9 through 11, a life with God forever. First, a life with God now involves God's protection. Verse 1, we read that David asks God to preserve him or to protect him. And he says, in him does he take refuge. In God does David take refuge. 
Verse 2, David goes on to say, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. What is David doing here? Well, David is here claiming Yahweh, the God of Israel, to be his God. Back in Exodus, when God saves Israel out of bondage to Egypt, he brings them to Mount Sinai and he enters into a covenant with them. And part of that covenant is what we call the Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue, which we read of in Exodus 20. And what is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. To use David's language, in me and in me alone shall you take refuge. So here, David is claiming the God of Israel and no other God to be his God. And in claiming God to be his God, he is calling for God to be his protector. He is saying, God, you are my God and no other God. Be my protector. I will follow you. Protect me. I will put my faith and my trust in you. Protect me. God is the protector of those who are faithful to him. I don't think we often put those two together. I think we often pray for God's protection. We pray for his preservation while our hearts belong to another. But God will never be our preserver. He will never be our rock. He will never be our protector while we live faithless lives. That is a false assurance of his protection. And David understood that. David understood that God is not the protector of those with divided hearts. In David's time and afterwards, you had people in Israel who claimed Yahweh to be their God, claimed the God of Israel to be their God, while at the same time they claimed pagan gods to be their gods. For various reasons, those pagan gods promised to get them out of a certain bind or promised certain blessings so that the people would have divided hearts. But David understands that God is not the protector of those with divided hearts, but of those whose hearts, whole hearts, are committed to him and committed to living a life of service rendered unto him. Second, we see that life with God now involves fellowship with the saints Life with God now involves fellowship with the saints. We read in verse 3, David takes his delight in the saints. Literally, that word is the holy ones. David's delight is in the holy ones. In those that have done as David has done and claimed the God of Israel to be their God and no other God. Notice that David delights in the Holy Ones. Notice that David takes joy in those that share his common interest in God. Brothers and sisters, we are created to enjoy one another. We are to enjoy each other. But we aren't just to enjoy each other, we are to enjoy each other as we grow in holiness. In other words, our Christian friendships and the joy we have in Christian friendships is unique to the joy we have in any other kind of friendship. We take joy in seeing each other 
grow in conformity to Christ and in the knowledge of His Word. When I first became a Christian, I had a or first became a Christian and embraced the Reformed faith. I had a friend who was really on the, the same level that I was. He embraced the Reformed faith, and much of our, our friendship was centered on the Word and learning more and more about theology and reading more and more about the Word and pouring ourselves into the Scriptures. We would challenge each other and, and talk about the, the pastor we heard last night or the lecture we listened to on an MP3. And our whole relationship was centered on God's Word. Well, I just recently had lunch with this friend last week when me and my family went back uh, to Chicago for the holidays. And he told me about his life and about his church. He's a deacon now. And he told me how much he's he's grown in the faith, his relationship with his pastor. And as he was telling me these things, I was filled with such joy to see how much my friend had grown and matured in the faith, and vice versa, him for me as well. Brothers and sisters, there is no greater friendships than the ones that we have that are centered on Christ. And David delights in his brothers and sisters who are holy, who seek after the God of Israel. Verse 4, David says he wants nothing to do with idol worshipers. Those that run after other gods, David will not associate with. He says that their sorrows will multiply. The idols of this world promise so much, don't they? They promise that they're going to take care of our problems, but the reverse actually happens and they exacerbate our problems. Your sorrows will multiply, brothers and sisters, when you cling to idols, to fulfill them. He says their drink offerings he will not pour out. This language denotes a sort of religious worship rendered to a god. David will not partake in false worship. He says that he will not take their names on his lips. Now their names here is probably the names of the gods that these idol worshipers are worshiping. He won't even have the God's names on his lips. But notice how that is followed in verse 5. What's the first word in verse 5? The Lord. The Lord, He will be my portion. The Lord, He will be my cup. The Lord, His name will be on my lips. The Lord I will drink from. The Lord will be my sustenance. He says in verse 5 and 6 that the Lord holds his lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David is content with what God has given him. Notice... Notice that the contentment of David in his earthly possessions comes after a realization that God himself is David's possession. David recognizes God first, and then he is able to be content with his earthly possessions. 
C.S. Lewis once wrote these words, you can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. David is putting God first in his life. And in doing so, he is content with the second things. I ask you today, brothers and sisters, what are you putting first in your life? Is God your heart's desire? Or is it more money, more financial stability, more acclaim, more respect, more, 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 more? What is it that you are putting first in your life? Brothers and sisters, when we look up to God and recognize that He is our eternal Father that has adopted us in the blood of His Son, we start to see that what we have is enough. It's enough. Look to God in the face of His Son and be content with what you have today. Thirdly, we see that life with God now involves God's counsel. Life with God now involves God's counsel. Verse 7, David says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Now the question we need to ask is, how does God give David counsel? How is God David's counselor? Well, I think we get the answer in Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, we read these words from the lips of David. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. God counsels David through the Scriptures. God counsels you and me today through the Scriptures. Verse 8, David says, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. David sets God before him because he knows that with God at his right hand, he will not be shaken. He will be safe. David draws near to God because he is confident in God to care for him. Why do little children run to their parents when they're in trouble? Because they know that in the embrace of their parents, they are safe. That everything is going to be okay. I remember when I was a kid, my mom took me and a friend of mine to go bowling. And there was a tornado that came, and we had to go down into this old, rusty basement in a bowling alley. I'm sure you can imagine what a basement in a bowling alley looks like. And my friend, he was scared, he was crying. But really, I was just fine. I had mom. This tornado might take out my friend, but it's not taking me out. Mom's here. Brothers and sisters, no matter where you find yourself in life, whether you're in a time of difficulty, 
or whether you're in a time of peace, whether you're in a lofty mansion or in a shack struggling to make ends meet, God is there. No matter what befalls you, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, with God at your right hand, you will never be shaken. Draw near to Him as David drew near to Him. So in verses 1 through 8, David meditates on life with God and the many blessings that come with it now. And then he moves on to consider life with God beyond this life in verses 9 through 11. Verse 9, David says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. David has contemplated the goodness and grace of God in his life now and concludes that God will never abandon me. Even in death, God will never abandon me. Now this word Sheol is a word we often see in Scripture, especially in the Psalms. It's a rather flexible term that changes its meaning depending on context. Now it usually either means the grave which everyone will see, or the place of the wicked, the place of those that oppose God. And probably here it means the latter, the place of the wicked, the place of those who oppose God. David's destination is not like those in verse 4, those who oppose God. His destination is not Sheol, the place of the wicked. So if that is not where David's destination lies, what is David's destination? Well, I think we get the answer in verse 11. Read there with me. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David's destination is God. David's destination is God. God has made known the path of life to David. And that path is God leading David to God. Notice the contrast between the end of verse 11 and the end of verse 8. In verse 8, God is at David's right hand. And at the end of verse 11, David is at God's right hand. God is at David's right hand, leading him, preserving him, protecting him, directing him in the path of life that leads to being at God's right hand where God dwells. Friends, God draws near to us so that we will forever be near to him. Why do you want to be in heaven? It's a question I'm sure that you've asked yourself before in your life. Somebody might have asked you. Why do you want to be in heaven? There are many answers that we can give. And many answers that have been given to that question. Because I don't want to be in hell. Sounds like a good reason. 
Because I want eternal life. Because I don't want to die. Because I don't want to become worm food. All those reasons are logical, and really, at their core, there's nothing wrong with them. Those reasons should give us incentive to seek after heaven. But I think if you were to ask David that question, why do you want to be in heaven? I think David would have responded with, because I want to be with God forever. In many ways, our Christian lives are a preparation for our lives in heaven. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, asks the question, what is the chief end of man? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end, the purpose of our lives is to glorify God and enjoy Him. Friends, I ask you, what is your relationship with God like today? Are you enjoying God? See David here. David enjoys God. He enjoys Him. He enjoys Him now. And in enjoying Him now, he is preparing himself for a life with God forever. We have been created and been created anew in Christ Jesus to enjoy God. To enjoy fellowship with Him through worship, through prayer, through reading His Word. And as we enjoy God now, as we bask in the presence, the Emmanuel that is Christ with us, we are preparing ourselves for eternal glory. For we will be with God forever. Do you enjoy God? David enjoys God. Now what are we to make of the fact that David in this psalm speaks in the first person? It seems as though everything in this psalm, in Psalm 16, David is speaking, will will happen to him personally. That seems to present a problem for us, especially when we consider the end of verse 10. The end of verse 10 we read, God will not let His Holy One see corruption. Now that word corruption we should see as meaning the grave. The body as it lies under the ground being corrupted, decaying and rotting away. And from the context of this psalm, it seems as though David is speaking of himself as the Holy One. But there's a problem here, isn't there? We know that David is corrupted. David is currently in the ground. David is currently in the grave, rotting away, decaying. Is David mistaken here? Is is David mistaken about the God that he serves? Well, I think in order to get the answer to this, we need to turn to the New Testament. Uh, Turn with me to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Here in Acts chapter 2, we get the famous Pentecost sermon from Peter. Uh, The Holy Spirit has come down like fire and divided tongues on over 3,000 people in Jerusalem. And Peter gives this marvelous sermon explaining the events that have just taken place. And I want us to focus our attention on verse 22 through 31. Verses 22 through 31. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and here's Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter tells us that verses 8 through 11 of Psalm 16 is prophecy. David is playing the role of a prophet. In 2 Samuel 7, David is promised in the Davidic covenant, we call it the Davidic covenant, David is promised that his kingdom will be an everlasting one and that his own son will be the heir that will be seated in that everlasting kingdom. And David believes the promises of God. He knows that God's promises will be fulfilled. And because David knows that God's promises will be fulfilled, he prophesies of Jesus Christ who will bring that promise to fruition. Who will bring that promise to completion. Psalm 16 is a reality for David and it is a reality for you and for me because Christ is a reality. David's life with God now and David's life with God forever is dependent upon Christ's person and Christ's work. You see, Christ is not some add-on. Christ is not some addendum to God's redemptive plan. It's not that all else has failed and now we have to bring Christ onto the scene. No, Christ is there from beginning to end. The Old Testament, the New Testament, every jot and tittle, every paragraph, every word, every comma, every punctuation mark hangs on Christ. Life itself for both Old Testament and New Testament saint hangs on the person and work of Jesus Christ. David is confident in God because David is confident in Christ. I think we tend to treat Christ as something we need at the beginning of our Christian lives, at the beginning of our Christian walk. 
we have a conversion experience, whether it be extraordinary or ordinary. And once we have that conversion experience, now it's really time to do good Christian things. Now it's really time to do the work of a Christian. Sure, we might relive our conversion experience years ago. We might relive our testimony every now and again. But really what the Christian life boils down to is doing good Christian things. Friends, the work we do as a Christian is to be a work that flows out of a strong and growing knowledge of Christ's work. It is to be a work that flows out of a strong and growing knowledge of Christ, whose scripture says is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the firstborn of creation, the firstborn of the dead, The word that was in the beginning, the word that has now been made flesh in these last days. David commits himself to God because all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. The empty tomb is a sign for us that the Holy One has not seen corruption. And it marks for us a new beginning to end all new beginnings. And like all new beginnings in Scripture, it demands on us a new perspective on life. It tells us that life is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And that by putting faith in Him, God's fatherly presence is with us both now and forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Christ. Our Alpha and our Omega, the beginning and the end. And Father, we pray that in this life, our Christian life, our life where we have been regenerated by your Spirit, that we would commit ourselves to growing in our knowledge of Him. And by growing in our knowledge of Him, be inspired by the work of your Spirit to do good works for you and for your kingdom. Bless us, we pray, in this new year. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.